0: If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter four, the Old Testament book of Ruth. And it's been a joy to walk through this book over uh, just these weeks leading up to Christmas and really all about pointing to the hope of Christmas. And uh, as you're turning there, almost 19 years ago, uh, I uh, surrendered to vocational ministry. I was a a local hometown insurance agent in Corinth, Mississippi, uh, just not far away from here. And uh, that was the plan. The plan was to be an insurance agent, a local insurance agent for the rest of my life. And God had a different plan. and He often does have a different plan than what we have planned for ourselves. And so for me at that time, uh, I knew a surrender to ministry or a call to ministry, vocational ministry, was a call to prepare And so for me, that meant uh, packing up just myself at the time and moving to New Orleans, Louisiana and uh, going to Bible school down there in seminary. And while I was down there, the local church that I was a part of and a member of, we would get up super early on Sunday mornings and our, our church had a little kitchen and we would go in there and we'd get it really early and we would cook a big old hot breakfast and we would make about... Fifty to go plates, and we would load them up, and we put them in our cars, and we go down to the French Quarter, and we would minister to folks who were homeless or uh, just living on the streets, or and just um, whoever really was around there during that time of the morning. And so, uh, so we went, and and uh, if you've ever been to New Orleans, there's Jackson Square, there's a, uh, a statue of Andrew Jackson on a horse. So just right below that statue is where we would have service. And so we had loaded up, gotten down there and, and it was kind of hard finding a place to park, but I found one and parked and made a run over to Jackson Square and had a morning of ministry there. And, and we would load up from there and then we'd head back to church to go to church service. But I went back and my my car wasn't there. <laughs> I, I, I looked around and, and I, several thoughts are running through my mind. I'm like, I, I think this is where I parked, but my my car wasn't there. And then I was I was having a moment as we like to say, and I'm, I'm processing like, okay, did, 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 did I get, did I get my car stolen? <laughs> Cause that's a really weird feeling. If you've ever had your vehicle stolen, like that's weird. And, and so I'm processing it. And as I'm processing, I notice there's this little sign that's on a curb and it says tow away zone. Like, and I, I don't know how I missed it, but I missed it. And I'm like, okay, my, 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 I drove an old Pathfinder. My, my crusty Pathfinder has been towed away. And so, so I found it wasn't but a few blocks over underneath the big old overpass. They have a big kind of chain link fence. And there was my, there was my Pathfinder. And there were three things that were standing between me and my Pathfinder. Number one, I had to prove that it was my Pathfinder. And number two, I had to be able to pay the fee to buy back my Pathfinder from behind that chain link fence. And the third thing was, not only did I have to prove it was mine, and not only did I have to be able to pay the price, but I had to be willing to pay the price. And I am still forever grateful to those handful of people that helped a brother out when he didn't have much money in his pocket and they helped me get the money to prove that the Krusty Pathfinder was mine, that I was able to pay for that because of the help from some friends and that I was willing to do that. And in a very real picture, in a very practical way, it is a redemption story, which sounds a little strange, but, but that's exactly what it was. Because redemption means to set, free by paying a price. And so as we have walked through this Old Testament book of Ruth, what we have seen is one of the most amazing pictures of redemption that you will find in all of scripture. It is a redemption story. It began in Ruth one, where we were introduced to a family and it was the family of Elimelech. Elimelech and his bride, Naomi, and they had two boys, Malon and Kilion. And they lived in Bethlehem and and a famine came upon that land. And long story short, uh, Elimelech gathered his family and decided to turn his back on God, decided to turn his back on God's plan, God's land, God's people. And in his own kind of wisdom, he was like, we're going to go to the greener grass of Moab. Moab was about 60 miles east, but for many, many years, there was major tension between the Moabites and between the Israelites. And when they made it to Moab, it was the beginning of what would be a 10 year nightmare. In this 10 year nightmare, uh, Elimelech would pass away. And then Naomi's boys, Malon and Kilion, they actually married Moabite women, which as you can imagine, was a major Israelite no, no. And so not only do they marry Moabite women, one was named Orpah, one was named Ruth, who this book is named after. But not only that, in a matter of time, both boys pass away. And so here's Naomi, a shattered hearted, motherless widow. And all that she has is uh, one of her daughters-in-law that the Bible says clung to her. And if you read the commitment she made to Naomi, Ruth said this to her mother-in-law. She said, she said, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And in the, that, that statement of commitment, we see her testimony of placing her faith in the one true living God. And where Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law essentially goodbye, Ruth clung to her and they made their way back to Bethlehem. Now, when they made it back to Bethlehem, evidently, Elimelech had some land. He had some land. And when he passed away, that land would have passed on to his boys, Malon and Kilion. And so when they passed away, this property is now essentially up for grabs. And so there had to be someone that could buy that land back. But the problem was, is Naomi and Ruth are destitute. They are poor. They don't have the funds to redeem the land. And so I love God's providence and how he kind of sets things in motions. But there was a Old Testament law that was called the law of the kinsman redeemer. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 25 if you want to jot that down. But basically a male relative, according to the laws in the Pentateuch, they had the privilege and they had the responsibility of of helping their relative in need by buying back the land and continuing the family name. And so knowing that law of kinsman redeemer is in place, it just so happened that Naomi and Ruth make it back to Bethlehem during what's called barley harvest, harvest season. And it just so happened that there was another old Testament law in place that God-fearing Israelites who lived there in Bethlehem, who who owned fields and it's harvest time, they would leave the field, they would leave the corners of the edges of their field and they would only harvest one time over. And the whole purpose of that was to care for the destitute and the poor. And so it just so happened that Naomi and Ruth are in Bethlehem at at barley harvest. It just so happens that of all the fields they could have gone to on that day, Ruth lands in Bethlehem. Boaz's field, who just so happens to be a kinsman redeemer of the family of Elimelech. And it just so happens that while Ruth is gleaning in that field, that Boaz just so happens to show up at the field while Ruth is gleaning. And the story continues. And eventually we see Boaz protecting Ruth and caring for Ruth and providing for Ruth. And ultimately, uh, Ruth proposes to Boaz. And it was a really unique proposal uh, involving uh, taking a cover off of his feet. But here's the proposal. It's over in Ruth 3, nine. Ruth says this. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In other words, Ruth knew she had no ability to redeem herself, her land, that Boaz was her kinsman, therefore a kinsman redeemer. She's saying, listen, take your wing, bring me under your wing, care for me, provide for me. You are a redeemer. You're my redeemer. And so what Boaz does is he says, actually, there is a closer redeemer than me. There's a closer kinsman redeemer, but he promises her, I will redeem you. That's what he says. I will redeem you. Now, from the very beginning of Ruth, the main idea that we've been sharing is that the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, their story is a part of a way bigger story. This redemption story is going to point to a way bigger redemption story. It's that grand redemptive narrative of scripture, which is basically, it's the story from Genesis to Revelation about how God in his grace, and in his mercy, and in his love, and in his care, is redeeming a people for himself, for his glory. And so their story is pointing to a bigger story. Their redemption story to a bigger redemption story. And our story is to point to a bigger story. You're in my story. And who is the bigger story? The bigger story is Jesus. He is the bigger story. And that is the main point of today in this message, is that Jesus Christ is our redeemer, Jesus Christ, is our redeemer. So let's look at chapter four, verse one, and we're going to walk through this this, uh, this passage together. The Bible says this: Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by, and so Boaz said, "Turn aside, friend, sit down." Here and he turned aside and he sat down, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, "Sit down here." And so they sat down. So there's a lot of satin down that's happening in these first few verses, but notice where they're sitting down at. they're sitting at the gate, the gate. And so the, we see the place of redemption in the story of Ruth is the gate. The gate was super important. In those ancient cities, they would be walled. And around these walls, you would have gates. It would be at the gate where the elders would gather. It would be where if you would want to know what's going on in the city or what's going on in the area, you go to the gate. This is where everybody gathered. This is where court would be held is at the gate. There were legal transactions to be made like redeeming land or redeeming a bride that, that would all take place at the gate. And so the gate is a very important place. And it is the place of redemption for Ruth. Why the place of redemption? Because Ruth was so impoverished that she did not have the ability to buy the land back. And so she had, to, she had to have a redeemer. And so as we walk through this chapter, we are going to see the story of Ruth and Boaz and that, that picture of redemption. But as we walk through it, we also are going to see our story. And our need for redemption, because the gate was the place of redemption for Ruth. But the cross is the place of redemption for weary sinners that 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 for all of us, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That this this is though we may not be financially destitute, I'm thinking maybe all of us had an opportunity to eat a meal if we wanted one before we came is that we are spiritually destitute. In other words, we have no ability to pay the price for our sin to a holy God. Paul says it this way to the Ephesian church. He says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, And the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So though though we may not be able to relate with Ruth's financial poverty, we can relate to spiritual poverty. Because the truth is, is that our sin carries a debt and that debt must be paid by a ransom. A ransom is an amount of money that is paid to set a prisoner free. And so I love what Jesus, the word says over in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says this. The Bible says that, that, he, that, that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. And so in this story of Ruth. It is historical. It is actual. It is factual. It is a factual redemption story. But it's going to point us to a bigger redemption story. And even with Boaz. This kinsman redeemer. As we follow the text. What we're going to be reminded of. As we see Boaz. And we see how he leads. And we see what he does. We are going to be pointed to Christ. He's a type of Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, He's not Christ but he points us to Christ. He's an example. He's a model. And so in verse three, the Bible says, then he, Boaz said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me, that I may know for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So the closer kinsman says, he hears about the lamb. He's like, I'm in, I'm in, I want it. I want it. He, he perhaps knew that this land was a part of his family. Maybe he heard about Elimelech. Maybe he thought maybe there's a, a chance he is the closer kinsman. And so here is this opportunity to buy this land. And so again, the place of redemption is the gate, but there are requirements for redemption that sound a lot like the requirements it took to get my crusty pathfinder out of that gated fence down in New Orleans. Because number one, you had to prove you're a kinsman redeemer. And so he was, he was the closest of kin, that's him. Second is he had to be able to pay the price to buy back this land, this redemption. He had to be able to, to, to do that. And so if you're reading the story, like he checks off, he is the closest kinsman, check number one. He is able to check number two. I mean, he had all kinds of means and maybe he wants to diversify that, that portfolio or that inheritance, but there is a third requirement. That is that you're willing to buy it, that you're willing. All of us understand this being able to do something and being willing to do something. So I want to take a quick poll this morning. My hunch is just about all of us would be able to get into a bus and go to an airport and go skydiving. All right. So we're able to do that. We're able to do that. However, Who's willing to do that? <laughs> it's two different things. So, so just curious, who are those that would be willing? You're able to skydive? You are willing to skydive. Okay, we're totally gonna do this one day after church, all right, so I, I'm making a mental picture of who you are. It's gonna be so much fun, so save your money and we're gonna go together. But there's a big difference. You're able, you're willing. This closer kinsman is able, but is he willing? Look at verse five. Bible says, then Boaz said, and I love his, he's so intentional with, with how he's sharing. Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. And I add some emphasis here, the Moabite, the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself or I cannot redeem it. Well, that's quite a change of plan right there. Because <laughs> initially he's like, I'm in, I'm in, I will redeem it. And then he hears the words, Ruth, the Moabite. And he says, I'm out. I'm out. He's able, but he's no longer willing. No doubt he, this closer kinsman probably had a bride, probably had kids. He probably had a a plan. He probably had a will. He probably had like, okay, like what I have, we're going to divide it up. But, but I don't know that my wife would necessarily like me taking another wife. I don't know if we have more children than that. Inheritance then becomes divided out around among uh, more people. And he says, this is going to impair my inheritance. And so no. No, and here's the thing about the closer kinsman. He always wanted the land and he never wanted the bride. And so when he said, Ruth, the Moabite, he was out. Verse seven says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. And so when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, He drew off his sandal. Now, that would be kind of interesting, right? If you went to close in your home and somebody handed you their shoe, (laughs) that would be weird, but not so much back then. And this actually, there was a old Deuteronomy 25, if you want to dig into it, there was actually, this was a really big deal. There was shaming involved, there would be spitting in the face, handing the sandal, a lot of. A lot of uh, pretty wild things are happening there. But by this point, essentially this shoe that he would wear to walk his land, he's saying, I forfeit that. And so he's taking his shoe and he's saying, my land is your land. You redeem it, you buy it. Verse nine, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I've bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech. And all that belong to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite. The widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel and may you act worthily in a and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The closer kinsman, all he wants is the land and wants nothing to do with the bride. Boaz cares nothing about the land and all he wants is the bride. Boaz had all the land that he would want. He was a man of means. He didn't need another field. He didn't want another field. He wanted a Moabite bride. And what we see in Boaz is we see this picture of Christ. And we see this picture of the gospel because God doesn't need anything. And this is, this is, I say this about myself, uh, I I say this about us, I I think we would all agree that God doesn't need us. What do I have but other than filthy rags of righteousness to offer the Lord? He has everything. He doesn't want more land. He wants a bride. He doesn't want more stuff. He wants a Moabite bride. You see in scripture, and I love, we, we see it, Psalm 50, verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got every, every animal, every cattle, he, he owns it all. Over in Job 38, 35, I love when God is, is, is just, he's overwhelming Job with who he is, but he basically says over in Job 38, 35, that he tells lightning where to go. He tells lightning where to go. He owns everything over in the creation account in Genesis one. I love the story of creation. And with this, the power of a word, let there be light. And there is like at his word, galaxies are born. He says this in chapter one, verse 16 of Genesis, that God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And then in my, in my translation, there's like a little dash and it says, and the stars And it. I mean, it's almost like the stars are like a, yeah, and I'll just do that too, because I'm God and I'm amazing. Like he's just powerful. He's powerful. I I read that in the Milky Way galaxy, and and I love what Louis Giglio describes the Milky Way as our cul-de-sac. He describes it as our cul-de-sac in the universe. The Milky Way galaxy has approximately 100,000 million stars. And And it's believed, at least as far as astronomers know at this point, that there are estimated that the Milky Way is one of 200 billion galaxies. And that the Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 4, that he determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them their name. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need us. He has everything he could ever want, but he doesn't want more land. He wants a bride. And what God does is he willingly meets every criteria needed to provide for our redemption. He provides every requirement. Number one, Jesus Christ alone is our kinsman redeemer. He identifies with us. He wanted to identify with us. This is the Christmas story. This is why we are celebrating Christmas. It's because Christ came. John 1, 1 through 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was In the beginning with God. Go down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we're celebrating in Christmas. Over in Matthew, chapter 1, Matthew's Gospel, I'm imagining this verse is probably being said. Thousands upon thousands of times in churches all over the world right now. But here's what the angel told Joseph in Matthew 121. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That it is humbling, you know, to think that God clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us only to be crucified on the cross. Like he, he was born to die for us. He's our kinsman redeemer alone. Jesus Christ alone is able to be our redeemer. He's the only one wealthy enough to meet the ransom payment. He's the only one. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that that of a lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hebrews 9, 12 says that he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. Ephesians 1 7 Paul says in him Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace and so he alone is our kinsman redeemer he alone is able but as we lean in a little bit more and we listen closely we hear the good news of the gospel loud and clear and that not only is he our kinsman redeemer not only is able he is willing he is willing. Jesus Christ alone is willing to be our redeemer. That's why God help us to never get over verses like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God help us to never get over Romans five eight. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And that is amazing, amazing news. So in this story of Esther, we see the place of redemption. We see the requirements for redemption. But we wrap up here with the purpose of redemption. In verse 13, the Bible says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all of Israel, to which I'll just pause and just say, it will be, it will be. He shall be to you a restorer of life. He will be. And a nourisher of your old age, he will be. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, to which I would just put King David. Verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered, here it is, Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And if you would have told Naomi and Ruth, You're never gonna believe what's gonna happen. You're never gonna believe. You go back to Bethlehem, you have no idea what's gonna happen. They had no idea, they had no way of knowing. But what we see is God's grace and His providence all the way through it. That when we met them in in chapter one, they were as shattered hearted as you can be. They were destitute, they were poor, they had no food. I would say they probably felt they had no hope. But chapter one ends with, and it happened to be barley harvest. And from that moment all the way through, you see that bitterness turn to joy. And you see that bitterness turn to to blessing. And you see God working in and through every single detail to bring about our good and his Glory, And that's what he does. They are a part of a much bigger story. And Ruth becomes the great grandmother of King David. And if you flip over to Matthew chapter one and all those names that sometimes we're tempted to want to get to the good stuff, right? The fact is, is that every single one of those generations is a testimony of God's faithfulness and of his grace and of his love and of his providence from one generation to the next. 42 generations from Abraham. And if you follow it all the way out, you're going to see the Messiah, Jesus Christ, clothed in flesh, dwelt among us. And if you look in that top third, you will see a guy's name that with, starts with an O, Obed. Obed. This child of promise that comes through this incredible providence of God and their story, though they could have never known it or seen it, shows us the bigger story. That this redemption story points us to the greater redemption story. And so a couple of encouragements as we wrap up this, this, this Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth is that this week, I know, and I know our team is aware, and perhaps you are too, that even as early as this morning, that there has been loss. That people you love and people you're close to, people you call friends, that this day is different today because physically they are not with you anymore. That, that this week, there were, there were diagnoses that were given that was not what they wanted to hear. There are pressures that come, whether it's broken family relationships or financial stresses, like there is this weight and this burden that it's possible that you feel, maybe you feel it heavier in this season than you do any other time of the year. And so the encouragement is this, is even in what appeared to be the darkest hour in Naomi and Ruth's life, the encouragement is, is that God was working every second. And that though we may not be able to see it all yet, but we can rest in the grace and the mercy and the care and the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. That's, that's his name. (laughs) I love that his name is I'm with you. His name is I'm with you. And so believer, even when they seem their darkest, God is at work and you are seen and you are known and you are loved. And not only this, but just like Boaz points us to Jesus, the encouragement is this, whether you're the youngest believer in the room or the oldest believer in the room is that your life points others to Jesus. So, so with, with our actions and with our reactions and, and, and with our attitudes and, 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 and how we treat others and, and, and our priority, like all those things, like God wants to use all of that to point others to himself who is the greater story. Our story to his story. And so the encouragement is this. Let's not be deceived as Elimelech was for the greener grass. Because the greener the green grass is wherever it's watered. And so that you would invest that time in your personal relationship with the Lord, soaking your heart in his word, trusting him in all things and striving to live a life that honors and brings glory to him, not in our strength, but all in his And that our lives would be like Psalm 107, 1 and 2 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then I love this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So as a believer, you're here. If if you're here and you would say, I am am one of the redeemed. May we we take the the word of the psalmist that says, let the redeemed of the world say so. May our words point others to Jesus our only hope. And then it could be that you're here and and you hear this story and you hear about how God so loved the world and you see the world and what a broken place it is. And it'll continue to be a broken place. There will come a day in his second coming that he will make all things right. Today we celebrate his first coming. He will come again. But here is the, the good news is that in our spiritual poverty, our inability to pay the ransom for our sin before a holy God. He did that for you. And he did that for us. And that you can experience his grace and his forgiveness and relationship with him in eternal life. If you acknowledge your need for a savior and acknowledge that you are a sinner and you have a change of mind about your sin, that's called repentance. And you turn toward him and trust in his perfect life his substitutionary death, and his resurrection from the grave for our salvation. And the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This invitation is to you to begin a relationship with him. The whole story of Ruth points us to a manger scene where a baby would be born of a virgin to do for us and to pay a ransom we could never ever pay. And that is the hope of Christmas. And that is what this season is all about. And so praise God for this incredible picture that he's given us. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to have one more song. And, and, um, I just want to encourage you, like if there, if we can pray for you, we'll have pastors down here. And we would love to pray over you if you want to come to the altar. We want you to feel welcome to come and pray at the altar, uh, pray at the altar, and and uh, and just like uh, and and maybe I, I know we, we we oftentimes are quick to jump into to to singing and that's awesome, uh, but maybe it's just to reflect a little bit and maybe the Holy Spirit wants to get our attention. and say, hey, in this Christmas season. These are some areas of your life that I long for you to point to me in and trust me with. So whatever that is, so so we're going to have a song of response. And so during that time, we encourage you to sing, pray, allow us to pray for you, whatever that might look like. And let's praise the Lord for the gift of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this redemption story. That God, you alone are our kinsman, redeemer that you alone were able to redeem us and that you alone are willing to redeem us. That Father, I can relate with, with the, the closer kinsman who, uh, he was concerned that his inheritance would be impaired. And God, to, to think that you love us so much that, that God, I, I look at my, my, my poverty and, and my, my righteousness as filthy rags and I, I see that I impair your holiness, but the beauty of the cross and, and the Christmas story is that you gift us your righteousness. You clothe us in your righteousness through a relationship with you. So God help us never to get used to that. Help us to be overwhelmed with a fresh sense of gratitude for your redemption. And God, I do pray that if there's anybody here who does not have a redemption story, that if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that this is the most important decision that they will ever make. God, that they would acknowledge their sin, turn from their sin and trust you alone in your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection. God, to... Believe with all their heart that you rose from the dead. And the Bible says that as we receive you as Lord, you will save. So God, I pray today specifically for the salvation of those who need to be redeemed. So God, I pray you are honored with our, the posture of our heart. And that we would be sensitive to your leadership in our lives. God, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus name. Amen.